0: new approaches to the world's most historically proven asset class that will enable you to create more wealth and freedom than you ever thought possible. Jason is a genuine self-made multimillionaire who's actually been there and done it. He's a successful investor, lender, developer, and entrepreneur who's owned properties in 11 states, had hundreds of tenants, and been involved in thousands of real estate transactions. This program will help you follow in Jason's footsteps on the road to your financial independence day. You really can do it. And now, here's your host, Jason Hartman, with the complete solution for real estate investors.
1: Welcome to episode 1631-1631. Thank you for joining me today. And again, happy new year. The new year is off to a great start for real estate investors. However, there is absolute craziness going on in our nation's capital, here in the good old U.S. of A. Let's hope that that turns out as, as well as can be expected. And it looks like, uh, yeah, well, you know, I think it's a little too early to tell, so I'm not going to comment yet. But uh, some reports are saying that Antifa protesters are dressed up as Trump supporters to cause chaos and make it look make the trump people look bad. So I I don't know, you know, this kind of stuff it just gets absolutely crazy and you know, you never know who's who. Uh, it's uh it's it's absolutely you know, counterintelligence and misinformation and uh this is the way this is the way things are fought in today's world. But today our guest on a real estate note is um the president and CEO of the National Apartment Association NAA and they represent the rental housing industry. So you're going to hear from him as we uh, we discuss some important things about uh, rental housing, important to all investors. We're going to be uh, talking about these moratorium issues, uh, possible aid packages, whether it be through Section 8. And remember, I predicted way back in February a huge, which in COVID years, February is like a decade ago, <laughs> even though it's not even a year ago, uh, but it seems like a decade the way things have been going. I predicted a huge expansion of rental housing assistance, and I also a move toward UBI, universal basic income. As you know, we had presidential candidate Andrew Yang on the show before talking about UBI. Whether you like it or not, whether you agree w- with it or not, I think it's coming. Uh, that's my prediction. I don't think that that's all bad. I, I really don't. I, I'm I'm coming to terms with it. Coming to terms with it, you know. It's like the prayer of Saint Francis, right? You know, uh, change the things you can, and accept the things you can't change, or however it goes. <laughs> it's, there's more to it than that, but uh, that's my that's my quick answer. How do you like that? Yeah, there you go. So we'll have him on in just a moment, and boy, there is a lot to talk about. I don't know how we're gonna do this with our new schedule in just three days a week, folks. But you're gonna see more content on our YouTube channel. We just passed the one million view mark. We just broke one million views on YouTube. So be sure you check out our YouTube channel. We have three YouTube channels for the real estate-oriented content. The new channel uh, that's, well, it's not that new, but it's new enough, it's new to us, it's our newest channel, uh, just passed a million views. So thanks to all of you who subscribed and liked and comment on the videos. We really appreciate you watching and uh We hear nice things from you. We hear you're getting a lot out of it. So uh, we are happy to be of service. Of course, the Creating Wealth Show is three days a week, every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And there's a lot of news to cover already, just a lot of news, but you're going to see a lot of this on the YouTube channel, because a lot of it is visually oriented news. And really just make sure you're catching our YouTube content as well. Also, we've got two really good webinars coming up. I'm not ready to announce them yet. They're not finished and ready, uh, but um, one of them is going to be all centered around the Portfolio Builder Calculator. It's taken a while to get this together, folks, but uh, you're really going to like it. You're going to like that webinar. So that's coming up. Uh, Look for that. And then we've got another one uh, for the Empowered Investor Network coming up as well. And we'll announce those when we can. Our contest is coming to a close. And uh, by the way, I want to compliment some of you who've done some great quick videos. You're not required to do a video for this, but you can. And I mean, they're great and that really really helps you make your goals with your income property portfolio more real when you bother to make a three or five minute quick little video about your plan Boy, that just cements it, it makes it real, it makes it solid, and it makes it much more achievable for you. And that financial freedom is going to come faster, it's going to be more likely to come in the first place, if you make the video. So the contest is meant to You know, it's kind of like a personal trainer, right? To force you to do what you need to do, right? So we want to be your personal trainer. Sometimes we have to nag you. Sometimes we have to get you to do things you don't want to do, but we're going to pay you for it. We're paying a thousand bucks, a thousand dollars cold hard cash for this. Two winners will win $500 each. And like I said before, this is not a big giant uh, bunch of people that have entered you have a very high probability of actually being a winner. It's not like there are thousands of people entering this contest. It's small. It's a small number. Your odds are very good. So be sure you go to jasonhartman.com slash contest and enter the contest. Okay, I want to do a little quick year in review before we get to our guest today and we talk about the rental housing industry of which we are all so happy to be a part of. Uh, So 2020 was such a big, long year, and there was so much going on that I thought it would would just be uh, a good idea to do a little year in review. And I bet, I bet a lot of you don't even remember this because it seems like it was so long ago. But remember how last year started with this huge story of these terrible brush fires in australia where australia was just burning down i mean it was so sad to see all of that devastation and the animals killed you know me i'm a i'm a huge animal lover that that was just tragic but then covid stole the stage right by february eighty six thousand cases were recorded globally by the end of february and then there was in march there was a 2 trillion with a t 2 trillion dollar aid package from the us government and that relief bill was uh, was signed you know we talked all about that we reported on it uh, many times throughout the year um and then there was this huge drop where travel just went you know it 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 just disappeared i mean completely The whole travel industry just died by April. It was a 66% drop in air travel from the previous year. And it got even a little bit worse than that, I believe, after April. And then remember, I shared with you my example. Remember, I taught you in March about supply-demand shock, an unusual economic malady. As I taught you about that, and I showed you an air travel example that I personally researched. It was really telling how that happened with air travel and how that economic malady of supply-demand shock occurred. And I predicted that that would occur in housing, and boy, it sure did. I was right again. I was right again. Sometimes you don't always want to be right, but uh, hey, no. It's absolutely amazing what's going on with the uh, the real estate market. It is off to just a record pace again. I think it's going to be a banner year for investors this year. And you know, our investors had a fantastic year last year, all the naysayers, I remember the comments, you know, when you, when you have a YouTube channel, you really realize like a lot of people in the general public, they just aren't too swift. No, they're not. <laughs> they are not too smart. And a lot of them, gave me a really hard time for being so bullish. I remember on one video I did, I was asked by someone interviewing me, where's the real estate market going? And I said the only true answer, and this was very early in the game, the only true answer I or anybody can give you is I don't know. And I got all these trolling comments on that, saying, of course he knows. He's being a real estate salesman. He's a permabull. You know, he's just just promoting real estate. He's always promoting real estate. And, you know, these were the naysayers saying the market was going to crash. Well, (laughs) ha ha. I guess I was right, wasn't I? I I mean, I said I don't know. I was just being, you know, accurate and humble. I didn't know, but I was pointing out some very bullish things like what I accurately predicted. I was the first one to predict the suburban tsunami, okay, where there was this mass migration to the burbs. You know, that happened, and the market boomed, and prices went through the roof, and supply-demand shock happened just like I said it would. But all those people, they've got egg on their face, they've got pie on their face, you know, they'll be right someday, no market goes on forever. There will be a, an adjustment, at the very least, if not a crash eventually. But, you know, look at all the opportunity uh, people miss out on, on the way to the next cycle, right? So, don't be one of those people. Don't be one of those people. And then they'll say, three years from now, See, I was right, there was a crash, but they missed five years of an up cycle. <laughs> so, and of course, you know that, as I've taught you you know over the last seventeen years uh that income property is a multi dimensional asset class, and uh in my three dimensions of real estate uh presentation in that little module that i've I've taught you over the years, you know if if you're new to the show. Go to jasonhartman.com, use the search bar there, and just type these keywords in, and you can find all the content on that. Oh, and by the way, we've developed a knowledge base where we are indexing our content for you. You know, we have so much content. We've got about 6,000 podcast episodes, hundreds and hundreds, if not even over 1,000 videos now, and just a mountain of content. And so we have started for the last maybe... I don't know, several months, indexing that content for you into a knowledge base. That's going to be Very very helpful. So more on that coming uh, down the road But you can also ask your investment counselor because they have uh, the details on the knowledge base and can provide you access to it Where you know it goes right to the spot in a podcast or a video the exact spot where we're talking about a certain thing uh, So you don't have to wade through a whole bunch of content You can get exactly what you need and that's our goal uh, to to provide this information to you. Anyway, so um, In the three dimensions of real estate, remember, rents and prices are mostly non-correlating things. So, when prices are soft, there's upward pressure on rents, and when prices are going up, you're in a capital gains market but you're not able to raise your rents as much as everybody's moving from renter to homeowner whereas in the other cycle where the prices are soft it's the opposite they're forced to stay in the renter pool so our cash flow improves so that's the beautiful thing about income property you can make money always in any market if you just adjust your strategy and We've been here for you for so many years to help you do that And we'll be here for you for many more years to come to help you do that as well. So We had the aid package. We saw travel dry up. Of course, we had the George Floyd thing When you know, he died of the fentanyl overdose obviously combined with some police brutality, but that was not his cause of death But you know, you're what you hear in the media is what you hear. So that's a whole whole other topic. It was, it was an excuse to burn down cities and uh, create a bunch of ridiculous ruckus by idiots who don't even know what they're protesting. And by the way, our fantastic governor here in Florida, who I hope runs for president in the near future, he is behind a bill that will allow people to shoot looters, as it should be, okay? If someone is looting your business or burning your business down... Why shouldn't you be able to shoot them? I mean, duh. That seems so obvious, right? But in today's nutso world, you know, nothing makes any sense anymore. Uh, of course, it has to be a righteous thing. You can't just, you know, you can't just shoot people. <laughs> but uh, you know, and there there would be a trial and 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 so forth to find out to make sure you know you know some crackpot wasn't just just shooting at people, right? But assuming that it's a true defense of life or property. But, you know, that's just that's just what's called reasonable in, like, normal logic. Not today's nutso, the world is turned upside down logic, of course. Now, you probably forgot about this one, but you know I'm always talking about how Wall Street is the modern version of organized crime. And this was a foreign company, I, I think a German company. Uh, remember Wirecard, that huge scandal? I didn't even have time to say much about that at all last year, but... Two billion euros, almost two billion euros, went missing. Okay, so they just went missing. And who who got those? Well, <laughs> the the CEO took the money, obviously, right? Or the CEO or the C level people stole the money, and uh, all the investors in the company got screwed. So you know, Wall Street, and it doesn't have to be Wall Street's just a metaphor. It could be any stock market, any investors in any business. They are subject to those three major problems when they don't follow commandment number three. Thou shalt maintain control. You know, they're subject to investing with crooks or idiots or just people that are honest and competent, but but take a huge management fee off the top for managing the deal. So that's a bad deal. Don't do it. Don't do it. Okay. The elections in Belarus. Remember those? And remember that, uh, you know, the, these crooked elections in, in Belarus, I hope that country frees up soon. I want to go visit Belarus. As you know, I've been to 87 countries and that one's been on my list uh, for a long time, but it's, it's the one little sort of communist holdout left in Europe. Hopefully we'll see some reform there, but it hasn't happened yet. In fact, one of our team members that works for us and uh, does some work for uh, my real estate tools company, he lives in Minsk in Belarus, and I'm always getting reports from him as to what's going on. So it's really interesting to have a global workforce working for your company, you know, where you can get a lot of insight from people who really live there and and it's not uh, it's not uh, filtered by the, uh, the lamestream media so the us election oh boy what a i'm i'm going to say it what a uh wait oh i don't have a bleep sound effect i can't say it cuz i can't bleep myself what a shit show <laughs> okay there you go this is a family friendly show but uh you know that election was a scam i i mean i don't I, there 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 is so much proof of just massive fraud and regardless of whether or not the voter fraud would have turned the election there was all sorts of uh pretext going into it by these disgusting big tech and social media companies who you know now google and facebook are being sued for colluding to uh raise ad prices they're being sued under antitrust uh oh and google their employees I have been so oppressed by these greedy scumbags that run the company that they formed a union. That's a first in Silicon Valley. More power to them. Power to the people. That's what I say. That's what I say. Power to the people. We'll see how that all goes. But yeah, the election, I don't know. Not even worth talking about it. The holidays were totally different. You know, people stayed home. They didn't get to see their their family, their friends a lot of times. And uh, New Year's Eve, I mean, that was just, really weird. The hypocrite Mayor de Blasio of New York City, or should I say New York shitty, <laughs> is really turning into an absolute disaster, as is typical with people run, uh, you know, hypocrites like him that run places like Detroit or, you know, many parts of Michigan uh, and California and New York. They they ruin it. They 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 ruin those places. They really do. And so he told everybody to stay home, yet he and his wife didn't stay home. They went out and they were dancing in Times Square. Uh, so, you know, there you go. But, uh, New Year's Eve was very different this year, obviously. So, uh, that's a little quick year in review. Without further ado, let's get to our guest. Be sure to go to jasonhartman.com slash contest and enter the contest. And here now, let's talk about the rental housing market. It's my pleasure to welcome Bob Penninger to the show. He's a returning guest. He is president and CEO of the National Apartment Association. They are a trade organization representing the rental housing industry. Bob, welcome back. How are you?
0: I'm very good. Thank you for having me on again.
1: It's good to have you. And there is a lot going on in the world, isn't there?
0: Yes, there is.
1: So, and yeah, we got to kind of have a lighthearted attitude for it. It's it's so crazy. You know, there has been a lot of talk about the tidal wave of evictions coming at us. There's been a lot of talk about eviction moratoriums, people not paying their rent. How significant is this? You know, the media loves to sensationalize, as we all know. And at least from my chair, from our side of the industry, it seems largely overplayed. I'm just, I read it in the media. I hear about it in the media. But when I talk to our investors, it's like a non-issue, the non, non-payment of rents. Where where do you stand on it?
0: You know, it, I agree with you. The, the, the media hype around this is only to further certain political agendas. So I've had conversations with people who have one or two units all the way up to people who operate portfolios with hundreds of thousands of units in them. And it's unprecedented, right? that's a word we used, overused this year, but the way the industry has worked with residents from the standpoint of waiving late fees to allow people to pay in multiple payments throughout a month to setting up payment plans to working with residents, because you know at the same time the pandemic hit, the economy was shut down and there was an incredible concern out there what was going to happen to the industry and were we going to be able to survive this and i think that to a large degree working with residents uh, operators have been able to fare far better than they would have it had that not that not been the case but there's okay, still so, challenges so, out there but we're working to try to solve those
1: right right so cooperating a spirit of of assistance and cooperation you're saying is beneficial to both parties right
0: yeah yeah definitely i mean we've been surveying our members and asking them questions in connection with a survey we do with iram and upwards of 80 percent of our of the members that we surveyed have been working with residents to keep them in place because we all know that evictions are lengthy processes that this is not a high margin business and one eviction could easily cost you the profit margin you take a profit margin on three other units just to break even. That is not a viable business model. Can you avoid it? Because an eviction is the last possible recourse.
1: Right. So do you have any statistics you can share with us? Like, how you know, what percentage of tenants aren't paying rents? What do we need to know about this? How, how big is this problem? We, we both agree it's overhyped, but there still is a problem there. How significant is it?
0: You know, there's been a number of groups out there that have been looking and tracking various information and data points. I was looking at some lease lock information just this afternoon, and they're looking at rent payments in the first day of the month. And so in November, it was there their November reporting period, Class A products saw 19% of rent payments received in the first day of the month. and Class C products, that's down to 13%.
1: Now, these are apartment complexes, right? Apartment complexes. So okay, class so Class A... A, you were dividing it. So class A, B, C, it's, it's different in different categories. So what's happening in class A?
0: In class A, first day of the month, you're seeing about 19% of rent payments made. In class C, that drops down to 13%, which is not surprising given the fact that in the class A products, these largely tend to be jobs that lend themselves well to working from home. And so people are able to work from home and be able to uh, make ends meet the Class C product does have a larger challenge because this is really our naturally occurring affordable housing. And so a lot of our service workers who are probably underemployed or maybe not employed as COVID is beginning to ramp up again, as restaurants and hotels begin to close down, um, you know, these are the people that are facing the most challenge, which is really why we've been aggressively lobbying for direct rental assistance to help residents that are in this space that truly need assistance.
1: Okay, so that's that's interesting. And I definitely want to get there. So, uh, you know, you talked about the first of the month. I mean, even in good times, a lot of people don't pay their rent on the first of the month. But what happens by the 10th of the month? You know, do you have anything you can share there?
0: Well, there's, a, you know, there, there's a number of pieces of information that are out there that are looking at this. I know that uh, the National Multi Housing Council has the rent tracker, which has been looking at about a population of a little over 11 million rental units across the country. It skews arguably more towards the A and B class. And they've been seeing that there has been some drop off from the standpoint of rent payments, but they're still relatively strong and things are in good shape. Um, What I'm looking been trying to gather information on is that C-class space, because again, this is an older product, which tends to be lower from a rent standpoint and tends to have people who are really struggling to make ends meet.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, you know, one of the things I predicted way back in February or March is that there would be. Some sort of national rental assistance program, whether it be an expansion of Section 8 and probably a pretty dramatic expansion of the Section 8 program that's been there for decades, or some sort of a new program. And there's a lot of talk about universal basic income. You know, we've done shows on that uh, previously. What type of rental housing assistance program do you think we need and what might we get?
0: Well, yeah. There have been versions of what you're talking about, but there hasn't been one comprehensive program from the federal level. So a lot of the CARES Act dollars that were distributed across the country, you had various jurisdictions that put together assistance programs. Los Angeles did, uh, Fresno, California did. We've had, uh, Boston has put together programs. So there's a number of jurisdictions around the country that have put together programs based upon varying cases for need Um, The initial legislation that was put put together with the HEROES Act called for it to go through basically the, the homeless programs that are out there, which is very cumbersome. They tend to be small programs. They can't be ramped up easily and quickly to get dollars out. We're waiting to see what comes out of the negotiations that are currently occurring between the Senate and the House of Representatives as to will they expand that out to a wider pool of resources? Because if they allow the states to then put together a program where monies can be distributed, it's going to be done likely far more efficiently than mandating a one-size-fits-all solution from the federal government all the way down to state and local levels.
1: Mm -hmm. So this would be an entirely new program, not an expansion of Section 8, right?
0: Likely it would be a new program because the challenge is, that this is something that would likely be outside of the restrictions that Section 8 has in place. So you could have a much more business friendly model that allows for things to happen more quickly. The challenge with the Section 8 program is that it has a very cumbersome process that is inconsistent from PHA to PHA. And so you can be in one county and deal with two or three different public housing authorities, all of which have different requirements of you. And if we're going to get money out to people who need it as quickly as possible, we're going to have to be more flexible.
1: And would these be direct payments to landlords?
0: The way it was envisioned was direct uh, direct payments to residents, and they in turn could then make the payments to landlords. Uh, There have been various conversations about different ways, different scenarios that could occur. But the dollars that they receive would be earmarked specifically for rent. It wouldn't be that different than during a, a hurricane where vouchers are available for housing, the resident would receive them, they could then sign them over to the property owner, and that would suffice for their rent so they can be in place, they can survive the catastrophe, and then move on. And hopefully we'd have the same thing coming out of this potential legislation.
1: Mm-hmm. But as a landlord, we would definitely rather see them come directly to the landlord the way Section 8 does. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, ultimately you would. Uh, yeah. But You know, this is uh, the challenge with this is things are moving. They move slowly, then they stop and they break down and they move quickly again. And so it's to trying to to get this process moving forward. Was it uh, the was the enemy of of, uh, progress is perfection. I think Mm -hmm. we just need to get monies out there at this point in time and get those into the hands of people that need it. Because let's face it, what was it? July was when the stimulus dollars ran out from the CARES Act. And here we are in December. And that uh, Moody's.com had projected that by the time we get to January, we could have potentially $70 billion in unpaid rent across this country. And that is
1: okay, but, but, but you know, the problem with it, uh, numbers like that, ah, drives me nuts when I hear the media or, you know, I see in an article, they say $70 billion of unpaid rent. I don't, compared to what? You know, I don't know how much is usually paid. <laughs> so, well, if, well,
0: if you look at trying to break that number down, um, there was, it, it, I saw one report that said it's on average about $6,000 per person that is having a challenge. I know that their apartment list had done a report, I believe it was going into September. So going into the month of September, they estimated that 32% of all renters went into September owing some amount of rent previous you know and and the challenge is if you get one month behind you could probably dig yourself out of that but if you are in a job saying less than making less than $50,000 a year and you get three months behind it's going to be very difficult for you to dig yourself out of that in in any sort of reasonable period of time so you know our concern is that those lost rents For those operators that are in that situation and working with residents, could end up nothing at the end of the day if a bankruptcy is declared on the other side of COVID.
1: Right, you know, um you reminded me when you were talking about the program initially of I think it was milton friedman 's uh, prophetic statement that said uh, you know nothing is so uh, permanent as a temporary government program <laughs> i 'm sure you 've heard that it's it 's yeah. a great line what is the the thought about the temporary or permanent nature of this expansion of the rental housing program because I don't know that, you know, there are fundamental issues in our society that go way beyond COVID. I think COVID just exacerbated and accelerated a lot of these things, both good and bad. There are some definitely very good things that are coming out of this. No question. You know, what What do you think about that? Is I mean, you know, the fact that it's not going to just be an expansion of Section 8, what does that tell us? Uh, about it? Is it temporary? Is it permanent? Does maybe it become smaller? I don't know if any government program gets smaller, but you know, maybe less people, they fall off the eligibility as the recovery occurs. Uh, what, what do you think about all that?
0: Well, you know, it, 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 when the money goes away, the program will go away. Um, and given the fact that, this, that the, what's being envisioned now is that the states would be running the programs, it would be an arm's length away from the federal government which makes it more likely that things would, would, would wind down as, the, as we move beyond the crisis. But the challenge that we had before COVID that we're going to have after COVID is that we had a housing affordability crisis going into this.
1: Oh, no and question.
0: We, the industry can't build anything but class A product just because of the cost of development. And the, 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 timelines the construction
1: costs make workforce housing impossible to build. You know it's it's funny we, you know we we do most of our work in the single family home side of the market in my company yeah. you know one one of our um contractors a millennial he he kept watching all my youtube videos and saying well i don't understand if developers know that there's all this demand from millennials and soon to be gen zers he didn't say that but i'll say it yeah. uh you know coming up why don't they just build for it? And I said, well, they can't that the economics don't work. They would be glad to build for it if they could. But there's just no way because there is so much government regulation in environmental impact, in construction quality. You know, you got to have every safety feature, all the, you know, water saving features, the energy features, the quadruple pane glass this stuff costs money. <laughs> yeah. So what do we and
0: do? It's, and it's, you know, it, it, many of the regulations and, and rules around building uh, today are the result of very good intentions, but nobody really looked at the cumulative impact of all of these various things that have now been piled upon our development community yeah
1: so so I think as a society we need to ask ourselves, you know from a citizen's perspective, is it better to be homeless or living in your car than it is to be living in you know a, a what we would consider substandard building you know that's warm and hopefully clean and you know at least you can call it home, right? I, I mean
0: I, I, you know if, if we were to address issues of density address issues of artificial restrictions on housing. I mean, if we're, as a society, we're living increasingly in urban areas, which means there's more and more competition for that land. There's also been a large push of you know building on transportation corridors, but there's only a limited amount of supply there, and so the land becomes that much more expensive. I think we need to have a real conversation about, about density, about what type of communities we want to have, about the economic impacts, because if we continue to go down this road, you're not going to be able to have people working in the shops that you want to frequent. Uh, you know, this is something that you see in very expensive communities like San Francisco and New York, where you have small mom-and-pop operations, dry cleaners, convenience stores. They're closing down because. They're getting to an age where they can't run the store 724 and they can't hire people to commute the three hours total to come into work and to go home to be able to run the store. So we're seeing a change in our urban communities because we refuse to deal with this problem.
1: Yeah, but to some extent, COVID and the civil unrest, the riots, is solving that problem because people are leaving those areas. Thoughts on that?
0: Yeah. I think they are, you're seeing that temporarily, but I think that people will ultimately return back to the urban cores. I think that what you're going to want to see more of though is more mixed use. So if you have a town that has decided that everything downtown is strictly going to be office space and they're not going to have walkable communities, they're not going to have mixed use with, with apartments and other sort of things in the downtown space, those are the ones that are going to be challenged. And I think coming out of COVID, where people have figured out that you don't need to be in the office every day to be productive, that we're going to see over the next 10 years a, a shrinking of office space. And as a result of that, there'll be opportunities to take some of these areas and revitalize them with housing. In which areas? Urban areas? In, in the urban areas. and yeah. In the but urban we- and in the near urban areas.
1: But that's been the trend for decades. And those urban areas are still super expensive. And it's not always just the density driving the real estate cost. It's simply the cost of construction. I mean, you know, mixed use is super expensive to build because there's you know more regulations on that, uh, so you know I don't know. I I don't think the the city holds that much allure anymore. I think once people discover, you know that they can they can work on Zoom, you know that a lot of the benefits of the city has really disappeared, you know, as soon as those, those playhouses close and, and the restaurants and all of that stuff. And I admit it will come back, but that's going to be a long slog. And I I, I do agree with you in, in the in the long enough term, whatever that means, to where if prices come down in those areas a lot, which will be a hard fought, really, you know, it's going to be pretty tough for maybe a decade, I, I don't know how long, then I th- do think we'll ultimately see some some people come back. But for the foreseeable future, I, I think the trend is away from the urban areas. I, I don't know. What do you think?
0: Well, I mean, in San Francisco, what we're seeing is you see rents dropping as much as 20% yep. in, the, in the downtown core area. San Francisco, 60%. New York, same thing. New York, or New LA. York, so yeah. it's a two months, two months, basically a two month reduction in rents. I think that you you had a community, a community, in the in the millennial, older millennials that were probably within the next couple of years considering moving to more of a suburban environment, and I think that's accelerated that. But we also have Gen Z that's coming up right behind them, and they're younger and they're going to want a more urban environment. I think that you will see things coming back. You'll see green shoots in urban areas. There's some downtown cities that are going to have more of a challenge than others. But when we had this revitalization of downtowns, there were some cities that were quick to change and there were others that were very slow to change. You know, the conditions that brought people into those downtown areas, that walkability, they're still going to want that. I mean, we're sitting here in Arlington, Virginia. So we're three miles from D.C. And we're we have a shopping mall next to us that was in decline that's been repositioned as a lifestyle center we have office space there's 1200 apartment units that are going in all around us yeah in the short term is there some challenges with regards to rents yes but will this area be revitalized right on a metro line yes it will and probably within a shorter period than we think we'll see we'll see a recovery
1: bob on uh, you said the shopping mall was redesigned into a lifestyle center what is a lifestyle center?
0: So it went from a lot of retail that had been very run down to um, you have a theater in there. You have a essentially an escape room type operation where people can come in and try to escape from whatever environment. There is a have drinks and paint area. There is a. So it's that kind of stuff, And also entertainment,
1: retail, entertainment combo. It's it's
0: more retail entertainment. So it's, it becomes its own magnet destination. Mm -hmm. And then you see land use change in the area around it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Well, I know we've got to wrap it up and you've got another interview coming up. What, you know, just give us any thoughts, any closing thoughts on anything. You know, it doesn't have to be about what we talked about, just whatever the association is working on, seeing, you know, what investors can uh, look for in the future.
0: Well, I think rental housing is still going to be in demand. So if you're an investor and you're looking at where should I be putting my, my dollars, I think that rental housing is has been for the last decade plus your go-to place is gonna to continue to be that. I think that technology, this advancement we've seen through COVID is gonna to continue to occur. And I think that looking at new technologies and the way to do things more efficiently and more effectively are gonna be the differentiators between the, the good operators and the great operators that are really going to be successful. So from that standpoint, I think that we need to look at investments in technology and really questioning just because I always did it this way, is this still the same way I should be doing it? Because we had a almost 15 year easy upward run. And I had conversations with many people that said, Yeah, I might be able to make a little more money or save some money, but this doesn't really, it's not really broken yet. So I don't have to fix it. I think now's a time for those people who decide to reevaluate their operations and look at doing things more efficiently. I think they're going to be the ones that are going to really
1: come out on top. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And, you know, just one final thing, sorry. Demographics, you know, 10 years ago, back in 2010, I was saying on the show, the demographics coming at the rental housing market over the next 10 years are nothing short of phenomenal. And guess what? Now it's 10 years later, and I've renewed that statement because we got another 10 years that look phenomenal to me. Do you agree?
0: I agree with you. The baby boomers are going to continue to downsize and move into rental housing and the new people coming out of school, you know, the Gen Z and whatever the gen is beyond that. I mean, we're going to see we're going to see them continue to demand rental housing. They want subtly different things and what they're looking for. But overall, there is more demand than there is supply for rental housing. And that is not going to change anytime soon.
1: Yeah, couldn't agree more. And the website is naahq.org, right?
0: Yes, that's it.
1: Thanks again for joining us. Thank you very much.